Hi, folks. I'm Duncan Guild, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Victoria! Hey, Duncan. Good to see you again. It's good to see you. It's been a little bit. We actually literally have not seen each other in weeks, months couple months? Maybe a month and a half. Month and a half? Yeah. And before that, we hadn't recorded for a little bit. Yeah. So we believe we have a good excuse for not having put up a podcast in, in quite a while, but we are looking forward to getting back at it. Definitely. This may be the first one of 2023, as a matter of fact. Really? It's been that long? I think it does. Wow. But our excuse is that uh, it's Sad for direction, but very happy for Victoria that she has transitioned on to being uh, more available for her kids and doing more work from home. And um, it's been a change for us and it's been a change for you. Yes. Yep. And I think before that, we were a little like, I think maybe busy. But finally settling down and um, Victoria and I missed pontificating on air. Yeah. And so we have recommitted to carving out some time and space that work for both of us. Now that I'm not coming into the office, we had to be more intentional about it. But I think we found some time that will work. So can you tell us what exactly you're doing now? Yeah. So it's not too complex. Um, you know, not I am out. Um, so I live in Lineborough, which is about 45 minutes from Nashua, where Direction is. So I do, um, and I have three boys who are five and under. And so I have focused a lot on individual counseling. So I see individual clients for about an hour once a week for most of them. I have a caseload of, you know, 20 plus clients a week, couples as well. Um, I do most of it virtually and I do some in an office in Milford. So a lot closer to home which would the littles make it more convenient for me to be at home longer. Yeah, for, for a while you were trying to juggle here and even the kids would come in here with yeah. your husband, Paul. Yep. And that was quite fun having them run around, but yes. probably became difficult for you guys to manage over time. Yeah, once yeah, especially with three. Three gets, um, what did they say? You go from like man-to-man defense to zone. Yeah. They're outnumbered you. Yeah, definitely outnumbered. I tried to warn you. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all boys, um, which I don't know. My mom said I was a handful, but um, yeah, they're just very active. And yeah, we, the kids still talk about direction and they love coming to visit and hopefully we'll stop by soon too with me when maybe we'll plan a day to come say hi. Um, Yeah. And I miss being here on a day-to-day basis, but for now, the kids are young. I had to try to simplify, I think, driving less and... Yeah, I think the move out to Lion Bar was a big part of it, just being farther away, less convenient to get here. But you do have a beautiful home out there and eight yeah. acres. We have eight acres. We have a little, we're building bigger gardens. We have a little one right now. We have some chickens, so small homestead stuff going on there. We like our house. So when the shit hits the fan, we're moving to Lion Move to Lion Yep. We've got to get the solar up and running. 
And I understand your kids are all going to become ninjas. Yes, they're working very hard on that. Yep, so they could defend the property. Yep. <laughs> At least one of them is doing uh, mixed martial arts or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yes, Charlie does that. Yep, and the others just do their own versions of ninja stuff. I don't really know what you call it. <laughs> it's informal <laughs> ninja. Yeah. It's ninja prep work. Before. Yes. So they yeah, take we miss seeing training. them around here too. They definitely miss you guys. They miss Angelou. <laughs> Is that what they call it? Yeah. <laughs> and the other. So anyways, we've had to do some uh, reconfiguring here, but very happy to uh, hear that Victoria's doing well and have her back uh, so we can do our thing. Yeah. Talk about adolescent mental health and parenting. So I thought we might talk about today is uh, more work that you're doing, which is, I think, moving at least a lot of your patients to a telehealth model. And telehealth has become uh, sort of remote therapy and remote medication management has become an increasing uh, way of delivering care. Um, I think it was really accelerated by the pandemic and inability to physically go visit your provider. And it's something which we found, I think, direction we did it for a while too, has uh, some liabilities and some benefits, but it's here to stay. So I thought maybe I'd ask you how telehealth goes for you and uh, how you do it and what it, what it is. Yeah, the telehealth part of it. So I slowly... I had some individual clients even when I was at Direction, and that started during COVID. Um, and uh, like that's why I was doing telehealth. <laughs> I didn't invent that idea in my own life. I would never, if you had asked me five years ago if I would ever be doing telehealth, I would have said, no way possible. Um, how and can you have Just a to clarify, telehealth, uh, as I understand, is primarily... Uh, done over video. Yep. It's video calls with people, right? A lot of them are Zoom. I don't know if you use Zoom. Or... I use, um, use Simple Practice is the portal I use. And so a lot of the um, online EMRs, HIPAA compliant EMRs have a video component nowadays. Electronic medical records. Yes. Yep. And so they have, I would you call them, um, not portals, <laughs> that's from the superhero world with my kids, um, like platforms that you can, you just have a little link sent to your client and you sign on right online and just as simple as zoom, but it's all HIPAA compliant. And we're seeing, uh, some more, at least, you know, our family has seen more primary care, uh, interaction. If, um, you know, uh, sometimes they'll do little visits with you. Right. And I've before I've sent pictures of like, you know, my kid hurt something and send a picture of their wrist or something. Yep. So it's not limited to therapists and psychiatrists, but it sure lends itself to what we do, which is basically talking. Yeah. Talk therapy. Maybe listening a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. You want to have that in the hour session for sure. I think that yeah, we've done a few, especially with the kids, um, we've done some telehealth for their PCP. But I think we're kind of lucky that, like you said, we're doing mostly talk therapy with people and it's easy to talk through video. Um, I find that some clients it is great for. Um, I am also a master LADAC, so I have like drug and alcohol counselor as well. And so a handful of my clients don't have their license. And so prior to telehealth, they would have to have... Dr driving license. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yes, yeah, to drive to 
come into the office. And so a lot of my clients there, they don't have to now pay someone to drive them or get a friend or family member to drive them to the office, especially in um, New Hampshire. I think a lot of communities don't have access as well to um, quality therapists, if if any therapists at all. And so one cool thing about telehealth too is that it opens up the whole, you have access to the whole state who you want to pick from as long as they have availability. And so from a client's perspective, it can be nice because you have more people you can choose to be your therapist. Um, and then from a clinician perspective, it's also nice because you can, if you have a certain demographic you really like to work with, you have a bigger pool to be open to because it doesn't have to just be people within driving range. My sister is a psychiatrist uh, also with four kids. Uh, is it three boys? Three boys and one girl. Um, and she does telehealth for Michigan. So she sees sort of an underserved population of right. um, folks with intellectual disabilities. And it is a great tool for reaching places which uh, don't have access. And honestly, even big cities and stuff are having access problems now. Yes. So that is one nice thing. There are some, I don't understand them well, but there's some licensure uh, requirements that I think you have to be licensed in the state to yes. practice. So if you're treating somebody from Michigan, you need a Michigan license. Yeah. Or, um, yes, you need a Michigan license and then the both parties usually have to be in the state unless there's a, there's a handful of sessions a year that you're allowed to be in different states. So like if someone were traveling, but you can't have that be consistent. Huh, except I guess she must have some kind of special arrangement. Maybe. Okay. Yep. Probably in like lower like places like right. that, that are in need. They probably have. Why do you suppose they do that? I think it's because of like, um, like if you're licensed in a state, but the other person isn't in the state, then something about jurisdiction for legal being, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe at some point that will open up, which would be nice. It occurs to me that, that you could theoretically treat somebody in a different part of the world. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of people do, I think. I know people who have counselors like in California. Right. But they pay out of pocket. They're not maybe going through insurance. There's the insurance part of it, too, you have to be aware of. Right. And those some of those, I'm sure insurances have, oh, there's all kinds of legal um uh, regulations and it all got upended during COVID. And, um, I believe insurers started covering telehealth much more liberally. Yep. So you can bill for uh, a patient just as you would if it were in the office. I think the compensation is the same for most of them. Yep. They're basically the same. So it's, it's since been, COVID. Yeah. And for uh, stay at home parents like you and for my sister, it's been Wonderful. It may, you know, be the difference between continuing the work and not continuing the work. Yes, definitely. Because you can, you can take away your commute. It's, you have more accessibility if someone else is helping at home, watching the kids where you can, you know, have lunch with them feels more, um, you feel more available to your family and less just of like a worker for most of the day and then come home and jump into the other role. Um, there's another thing I was going to say about the being at home piece. Oh, and a lot of therapists I find in our state are young moms. That sounds right. You know, a lot of the ones that I meet and see on psychology today are young moms. And so I think it opened up a lot of availability for moms to see more clients. 
And I can, you know, I do 7am appointments someday too. So I don't have to like get to the office by 7am to meet someone. Um, another thing too, it decreases your overhead. So Mm. it actually makes it a more viable position for some people. So if you don't have an office that you maintain and you're just doing telehealth, you have your home office, um, where you can have some privacy, but you don't have to pay rent to someone else outside the house. And mental health work doesn't have a huge margin. Um, so it can make you know, the difference between you being able financially to provide these services and having to find something different to do. Absolutely. Yep. And I think with especially a lot of young moms right. in particular, that's helpful. So we did the same thing at Direction. Was what did we do it for a year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we did had to scramble, I I, and I, I blocked remember that out of my memory. March twentieth of what twenty twenty. I remember cleaning out the office and going yeah. home and not being sure what was going to happen. Yeah, we had a little emergency meeting at some point. To... A lot of panic. Yep. And um, purchased Zoom and tried to figure out how we were going to do groups with breakout rooms and do psychiatric visits. How to move our in-person IOP groups to online IOP groups. 20 kids per day. So so that's what ended up happening when we we opened it. We would have 20, 10 or 20 little boxes that showed up (laughs) on the screen with kid faces in them. And somehow we had to entertain them. For three (laughs) hours. Keep their attention at least for three hours. That's right. We weren't doing the partial at the time. But, uh, and we did that for about a year. And then uh, for reasons we can discuss, we got back in the office as soon as that was possible. And um, yeah, so, so as far as advantages for us was we continued to have a business. Yep. Because before telehealth, that, that might've been it for us. Yeah. Um, we continued to be able to serve the kids. Yeah. Um, so, and it allowed us to bridge, you know, a full year of, not being able to meet face to face. Other advantages for us that maybe you're seeing, maybe more so for, with kids, but kids, we probably end up seeing kids who we would not have seen in person mm. because kids who were too anxious to come felt a little bit more comfortable in their own house or a lot more comfortable. Um, and uh, so we probably ended up reaching some kids who otherwise we wouldn't have seen because for, for kids, it's a lot less anxiety provoking to be on a screen at home as we all know, for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a benefit. Geography, that got better because we suddenly we could serve northern New Hampshire, you know, two hours away without them having to drive. Um, yeah, so, so in some ways, I, I got to be at home, yep. which there were definite benefits to that. I got to be my, with my kids more. Um, I got to lumber over to the kitchen and get a snack and then lumber back and <laughs> we love our snacks <laughs> i can see why people do it so there are definite advantages to telehealth and for these reasons it's going to be here to stay um i would agree with you it, we get to the disadvantages but for some kids it certainly didn't work um what disadvantages have you found of telehealth i think it has to be a good fit uh, some people, it's funny, teenagers actually, I service mostly adults because most teenagers want in-person. That's interesting. Yeah, because everything else they do is online. Right. Um, but I think some of that too is just control. It's a control thing often for the kids. How do you mean? Um, 
with the parents, you know, like they don't really want to do therapy, but their parents want them to, cause there's an issue. And so it's like, well, I'm not doing it online because they could start it like tomorrow or something. And I think it's a that little bit, put it off indefinitely. Yeah. And ho- hopefully not have to do it. Yeah. Cause there's a wait list for, you know, it, less in people are doing it in person right. and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And so it's just interesting how with the individual therapy, it, it's definitely a notice adults are way more willing to, and I think adults are way busier too. So people often will just hop on like into their car for their lunch break and hop on, um, or before they go to work in the parking lot, they'll hop on for an hour and then walk into their job. So I think yeah, people will do it on their, f- I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm already interrupting you. No, I'm excited to have the opportunity to interrupt you again. Uh- <laughs> they'll do it on their phones in the car in the driver's seat. Yes. Yep. Like they're little miniature, we call them phones, but they're like miniature computers nowadays, I guess. Um, yep. And so people can have a lot more flexibility and I find a lot of adults who would be, um, they want their confidentiality to be maintained like it too, especially high functioning, um, maybe even, I don't want to say public figures, but you know, people well-known in their community Mm. often don't want to be seen going into a therapy. I shouldn't say often don't, but sometimes don't want to be seen as needing therapy. And so they can just very discreetly, discreetly sign on and online. And yep. A downside to it is especially for people who have issues with their family, (laughs) you have to make sure you have privacy to Uh be able to do it. Um, I think for adolescents and kids, that's another big thing is that they, might feel their parents can hear and like we, a lot we of literally had one kid with a mother listening at the door. I do remember that. Yep. Yep. I think we called her and said that wasn't okay. Yeah. But then at that point, like you have very little ability to right. ensure that they're not going to be doing that. And kids usually half the time they do talk about their parents and the issues there, which is developmentally appropriate. Um, but that's one definite liability is you have to make sure people have privacy um, I think that sometimes with certain people, you can create um, a very close connection through video, especially people who are very articulate and well-spoken and have a lot of um, skills that lend themselves to connection in general, whereas people who struggle with that do better in person. Yeah, so people who have certain, I don't say personalities, but yeah, sometimes personalities and certain verbal skills and abilities tend to do better virtually than people who maybe relate more, um, through being in the same room with someone and less articulate and, um, just need that sort of in-person connection. There is something in, I think this is what you're saying, for some people, this absence doesn't, ma- absence doesn't matter so much, but there is something missing from being in the same room with something, somebody. Yes. Yep. Um, and that can be critical for some people and for some people it may not matter that much. Yep. Yeah. Um, very much. And there's the hybrid option that I really like too, mm. is that if you have the ability to meet even once can be helpful for some people Definitely. or just now and again, so that you... You know, certain things, I remember I was doing supervision with someone and I didn't realize they were like almost seven feet tall. I thought they were (laughs) short because the way like the camera showed, it just appeared that way and then not at all. And something like that might not seem important, but it actually can be really important in someone's life 
the way we present physically to others and the way that creates relationship or power dynamics in our life. And if you're not in tune or aware of that, you might be missing a big chunk. You know, even meeting somebody in the waiting room or having them physically come into a space means something. Otherwise, it's very encapsulated on the screen experience. So I, I completely agree. It can make a world of difference, even meeting the person once. Yep, for sure. And I think, um, you know, there's also the option in person or telehealth to include a family member sometimes mm. in a session. And you, cause I think that's an extension of the same idea is that often therapy is very much only a slice of someone's life. Um, and that slice is just what they're going to tell you in the way that in their perspective and their life. And so individual therapy in general, I think is already, it's one of the deficits of individual therapy is that it's limited. Um, and so virtual can enhance that. Mm. Um, so if you can meet at least once or twice, I think that's great. But again, sometimes it's just there, I've, I've had clients for long term whose relationships I feel super connected with. And then I've had clients who come into the office who I've had long term and who I feel less connected with as well. And so some of that is just chemistry between you and your clinician and um, the specific needs you have and your clinician's expertise. Oh, another deficit to telehealth is sometimes um, you lose connection because <laughs> of internet problems. Oh, yeah, like, that's very disruptive. Especially in the winter. If you're um, talking about something real deep important. and important and emotional. Yep. And if, you, you're, if your internet isn't that great, um, that can be shitty, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Sometimes you can just, I call a client if need. It doesn't happen a lot. I'm fortunate. Even in Lineborough, I have good internet connection. Um, but then another benefit of virtual is that if it's snowing a lot and you still right. have internet, you can have a snow, you don't have to have a snow day. You can actually still meet and people don't have to commute to the in-person location. One, another, uh, on the downside is it's much easier to be interrupted in various ways at home. Um, if you're in an office, you can silent, you're unlikely to be interrupted by mom or um, a dog or a phone yeah. or something like that. Although I do have to say that I love being able to meet my clients' animals, their pets, <laughs> their dogs, cats. Yeah. I think that was a real benefit, especially in the IOP group online that we did. The kids would, you know, do show and tell of even their room yes, or their. Yes, you could see their, their rooms. In their... Yeah, and I think there's something to that that is nice, more inclusive. I can talk and about it... some disadvantages if you want to think about yes. another yeah, yeah. benefit. Um, I hated it. Um, as a clinician, at a, as a clinician, a at least with the. Do you call yourself um, a clinician? Is that I don't like know what? If I've, did I just call myself a clinician? Well, I think because I had been saying that word, but I probably said it. No, I a doctor. I don't like the word clinician. I don't know why. I well, because you can call yourself a doctor. I call so. myself a doctor. <laughs> sound more important. Um, at least in I do his say own clinician. Head. Um, anyways, I I didn't like it. Um, I actually, I could see for docs, I could see doing med management as completely working for me, doing med management where it's shorter visits, where yeah. the content's less important. I think it was particularly hard with kids. Yep. And it was particularly hard with a group of kids trying to manage a group of various squares where kids would turn off their cameras or be off screen or very clearly surfing the internet. So it was a group therapy model that was... It was very difficult with adolescents. Yeah, groups are hard. 
a major thing for me was I found my interest much lower. I found that in person in the same room actually mattered for me, maybe more than the kids sometimes. Mm. So I found myself sort of scarily apathetic mm. um, and thinking about going to the other room and doing something else. Yeah. So it, that may be more a me thing, but it's important yep. that the clinician also is able it's to. It's a good fit for them. Yeah. So, and you know, as another thing, I just like being at work and going out and doing things. Getting out of the house. Um, yeah. And I didn't have such responsibilities at home that I had to be there all the time. So for me, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I could do that as a career, but um, I'm glad other people like it. Yeah. I find a huge difference is working with a lot of adults. They're paying out of their own pocket to mm. be there. And so you don't tend, unless you're dealing with like a court ordered situation, people are usually highly motivated in their hour that, you know, they want to get some work done Right. versus with the adolescents. Often it's very, very different type of work you do with teenagers. They're there under duress sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Or even just cause like life sucks and it just sucks right now. And right. you know, they're not as motivated, not all of them, but in general for individual clients, I find it very much people show up and are like, Hey, this is what is on my plate this week, or this is what I'm working through. I want your help and participation in it. So like, I don't ever with my one-on-one individual clients have to be like, Oh, excuse me, are you surfing the internet? Whereas with our <laughs> groups, we had to do it all the time. Yeah, it was, it was like their faces were lighting up cause they were on yes. different screens, but you know, you, I just don't have that in yes. this individual virtual that I do at all. Interesting. I, it just comes to mind when you talked about seeing people's, um, uh, dogs and rooms and stuff. You do learn things about people you wouldn't otherwise. We had one kid, they were doing show and tell. And we had a 16 uh, year old boy who showed off his AR 12 rifle. Yeah. And uh, it was something he got for his birthday. He was very proud of it. And yep. it was a hunting family, but it freaked the other kids out. Yep. Rightfully so with today's climate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We had to do uh, some follow up on that. Yeah, way more factors you cannot control for when it's in their environment. Oh, one other thing for a clinician, this might be more of a female thing, but sometimes um, there is, like, say a lot of individual clinicians meet all alone in an office with the client right? in, like, some office building or wherever, and it takes that part of... Um, especially in the beginning when you're meeting with someone new, that question right. of like your own personal security and safety. Right. Um, I do a lot of court, not a lot, but I do some court ordered evals and stuff too. So a little bit of distance sometimes can be nice. And also too, like people like on that level of client work, um, sometimes like they'll show you what they're struggling with right there because you know see the bong in the background yes. or whatever that they might not bring to your office and no shows are way less because you can even call and if someone forgot ah. they'll be like oh i'm gonna jump on right now gotcha and so that's another efficiency thing and makes the career more viable because a no show like it's not like a when you're doing individual therapy right. if you your client doesn't show up you don't get paid for that work because it's you know you got a bill, it's a billable hour. Um, and so just if you are on a budget, mm. it can be helpful to limit that. And also just to make good use of your time. Mm -hmm. One of the thing about doing it during COVID was the kids were already doing school on Zoom. Yeah, all day And they long. all use social media anyways. Yep. So 
many of the kids want to get back to real life because they're so tired of sort of mind-numbing amounts of screen. Yep. So that made it uh, really bad. So going to IOP or PHP on Zoom after school, which was on Zoom, was a lot for them. Yeah. I work with couples online. I also meet with couples in person. Some couples do really well online. Other couples do way better in person depending on their relational styles. Hmm. Um, but I think the I haven't done an online group of like multiple people from different households. Although I did online, I did virtual parenting group even for one. I like that. Um, But again, it's highly motivated adults usually who show up for that. But I think in a group that's a process group, not a psycho ed group where you're just kind of didactically teaching people things. Right. It's really hard because a lot of the process is like, where am I looking? If there's multiple people, if it's individual, like I'm clearly looking straight at you. Um, but the nuances of a group can be very hard virtually versus right. in person. It's, it's way easier to know who's talking to who. And, right. um, if someone starts crying, but they might not be the one talking, it's easier to be aware of that. Yes. So the groups definitely, I think online are more challenging when they're processing groups versus educational groups. Definitely. One of the best ideas, I, I forget who it was, but they started doing walk, just like we do with the program. They started doing walks, oh, yeah. but kids would bring their phones. Yep. They'd be on their phones, participating in the group while the kids were walking around out and getting some fresh air. So yes. I thought that was actually pretty clever. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because a big part of it, like you said, was that they were online all the time mm. and just sick of being online We're seeing school. the fallout of that still. For sure. And I think nowadays even the increase, you know, what we talk about all the time, the adolescent mental health crisis, a lot of it in my opinion, is not, we're not seeing more major mental health diagnoses in kids. It's more, um, average kids who are experiencing higher levels of anxiety and depression because of their environment. And so a big part of what's getting, what helps them get better is that they spend time here off their phones, talking to people, connecting with each other. Right. It's a human connection. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes with adults and the individual, even virtual, you actually have very deep connections with people still that maybe that's part of like what they're working on in their life or there's more major mental health issues or relational issues going on. Yes. For, Mm. it's funny, Victoria, just recently changed, but for a while we get this subpopulation of adolescent girls, 13 Mm -hmm. or 14, and we had entirely girls here. And it was all this population of normal kids, you know, without major genetics and stuff, uh, who were just struggling because they were living a mind-numbing online world. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of, um, what is that? Twin, tween? Tweens? Is that, was that her last name? Who did, um, oh, oh no, no. Um, I was thinking of the age group. The, we did a part of the iGen podcast we yes, did. Yes. It was a great book. Um, I forget the researcher's name who wrote the book, but she talked, she pointed to a lot of research that indicated that online communities and worlds tend to be harder for females because that's where a lot of female bullying styles really thrive. Whereas Uh a lot of male bullying styles thrive in person. Right. Right, right, right. In the world of, um, increasingly it's harder on males as well, but a lot of the pictures and photos and, um, Break, you know, looking at, at bodies a lot, I think, is very stressful for females as well. Versus an in-person physical intimidation. Yes. Right, or macho. 
Right. Sort of. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, there you have it. Telehealth pluses and minuses. But uh, no matter how you look at it, it's here to stay. And um, I'm sure it will develop and continue evolving. Yep. But all in all, it's a great another tool to reach people. Yes. It's not um, the be and all and all. And great. it's important to be able to have in-person stuff as well. But it's nice to have the mixture offered, I think, to people. Well, Victoria, this was fun. I think we ought to do this again. Uh, let's record something else as soon as we finish this one. Perfect. All right. Hope everybody has a good day. Bye, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.